0: Chapter 31 of The Glory of the Conquered by Susan Glasspool. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter 31. Science and Super Science. Insubordinate children who play off from school in the morning must work in the afternoon, Carl said at luncheon and they went to their work that afternoon with freshened spirit. When the McCormicks gave up their flat at Christmas time, Basin had come to live with the Hubers. Ernestine prided herself upon some cleverness in having rented two rooms without Carl suspecting. It was a matter of renting the rooms. When he engaged Ross as his secretary in the fall, she said it would be more convenient for them all for Mr. Ross to have his room there. They had an extra room, so why not? She did not put it the other way, that she felt the house more expensive than they should have now. Of course, Carl would make money in his books that had been settled in advance, but things had changed for them, and Ernestine felt the need of caution. Then, as to Beeson, she said there was that little room he could have, and it would do the boy good to be there. You like, John, she said to Carl, and as he has not yet been graduated into philosophy, he may be more companionable than Mr. Ross and Carl said, by all means to have Beeson, if it wouldn't bother her to have him around. She was glad of that for more reasons than a reduced rent. Beeson had become a great help to Ernestine after he came there to live. They fitted up some things for her in the studio and she managed to get in a number of extra hours when carl thought she was busy with her pictures in her glow of spirit this afternoon that walk in the park had meant so much as holding promise for the future ernestine was even willing to admit looking back upon it that the winter had not been nearly so bad as one would suppose mr Beeson and mr ross were both in their differing ways alert and interesting and there had been some good wrangles around the evening fire other people had found them out and they had drawn to them an interesting group of friends so the days had flowed steadily on a brave struggle to meet life in good part keep that good fellowship of the spirit one of the hardest things of all had been deceiving karl her reason justified it but it hurt her heart they had been able to do it However, better than she would have believed possible, Mr. Ross was with him most of the time when she was not, and had frequently been forced to intercept some caller who was close to an innocent remark about Mrs. Huber's being over at the university. Several times, Carl had caught the odor of the laboratory about her, and she had been forced to explain it as the odor of the studio, and more than once. In the midst of a discussion her interest had beguiled her into some surprisingly intelligent remark and she had been obliged to invent laughing reasons for knowing anything about it it hurt her deeply to take advantage of carl's blindness in keeping things from him even though the motive was all love for carl and determination to help she would be so glad when all that was over and she thought as she worked along very hard that afternoon that perhaps it would not be many days now until carl should know that would be for dr parkman to say so many vital things seem left to dr parkman did you ever think she said turning to mr Beeson, who was busy at the table beside her what the doctor really counts for in this world yes in a way said Beeson, adjusting his microscope but then i was never sick much well i didn't mean just taking one's pulse she laughed it seems to me they mean more than prescriptions for one thing i think it's rather amusing the way they all practice christian science why what do you mean he demanded aroused now and shocked oh i've come to the conclusion that a modern first-class doctor is a christian scientist who preserves his sanity she paused "'laughing a little at Beeson's bewildered face "'and at the thought of how little her formula "'would be appreciated in either camp. "'I've noticed it down at Dr. Parkman's office,' she went on. "'It's quite a study to listen to him at the telephone. "'He will wrangle around all sorts of corners "'to get patients to admit something is in better shape "'than it was yesterday.' "'And though they called up to say they were worse, "'they end in admitting they are much better. He just forces them into saying something is better, and then he says, triumphantly, oh, that's fine, and the patient rings off immensely cheered up. That's a kind of trickery, though, said Beeson. Pretty good kind of trickery, if it helps people get well. Well, I shouldn't care to be a practicing physician, Beeson declared, just for that reason. That sort of business would be very distasteful to me ernestine was about to say something and then relegated it to the things better left unsaid but she permitted herself a wise little smile i don't think it's such an awfully high grade of work he went on in a way it is of course but there's so much repetition and routine so much that doesn't count scientifically at all doesn't count for anything but the patient "'But what is science for?' she demanded, aggravated now. "'Has medical science any value, save in its relation to human beings?' "'Oh, yes, I know, in the end,' he admitted vaguely. "'All this laboratory work is simply to throw more power into the hands of the general practitioner. "'It's to give him more light. "'It's just because his work is so important that this work has any reason for being.' Dr. Huber saw it that way, she concluded, with the air of delivering the unanswerable. But even that wasn't just what I meant, she went on. After they had worked silently for a few minutes, what I was thinking about was the super-doctor. Beeson simply stared. No, not entirely crazy, she laughed. For instance, what can a man do for nervous indigestion without infusing a little hope? Think of what doctors know not only about people's bodies but about their lives cause and effect overlap don't they half the time a run-down body means a broken spirit or a twisted life how can you set part of a thing right when the whole thing of it's wrong how can a doctor be just a doctor if he's a good one but nothing super could be expected of Beeson. his very blank face recalled her to the absurdity of getting out of focus with one's audience she herself felt it strongly it seemed to her that dr parkman's real gift was his endowment in intuition when all was going well she heard nothing from him but let things begin to drag and the doctor appeared rich in resources he seemed to have in reserve a wide variety of stimulants he looked in upon them often whenever in their neighborhood he stopped and though frequently he could not so much as take time to sit down the day always went a little better for his coming if the end of the world were upon us dr parkman could avert the calamity for a day or two couldn't he carl ernestine had laughed after one of his visits This proved to be one of the days of his stopping in, and he arrived just as Carl was dictating a few final sentences to Mr. Ross. While they were finishing, he said he was not in a hurry today, he took a keen look at Carl's face. His color was not good, the doctor thought. In fact, several things were not to his liking. Too many hard times with himself, he summed it up. Droopy needs a bracer, needs to get back in the harness. That's the only medicine for him. He had been thinking about that very seriously of late. Ernestine was at least in position now to show the possibilities of the situation, and working with Carl would do more for her in a month than working along this way would do in five. Why not? No matter how long they waited, it was going to be hard at first. The deep lines in Carl's face furnished the strongest argument against further waiting. What have we here? he asked, picking up one of the embossed books lying open on the table near Karl. I presume that's my Bible. Carl replied, Has it come to this? the doctor asked dryly. Didn't we ever tell you the story of my Bible? No, you never did. I never suspected you had one. Oh, yes, the Bible was the first book of this sort I had. It was sent to me by some home missionary society, some woman's organization. Fools, broke in Parkman. They saw in the paper about my eyes, and so they said to themselves, Now here is a good chance to convert one of those ungodly scientists. So they sent the Bible, along with a nice little note, saying that now I would have time to read it, and perhaps all of this time was the hand of God leading me. You can construct the rest. Well, he paused with a laugh. Ernestine was mad. I should hope so, growled Parkman. She was so divinely angry that, in having fun with her, I overlooked being enraged myself. Oh, if I could only give you any idea of how incensed she was. I think she intended notifying the Chicago police... "'Really, I don't know to what lengths she would have gone "'had it not been for my restraining influence. "'And then she constructed a letter. "'It was a masterpiece. "'I can tell you that. "'She compared me to them, "'greatly to their disadvantage. "'She spoke of the various kinds of religious manifestation, "'again, greatly to their disadvantage. "'Did she send it?' laughed the doctor no i persuaded her that well-intentioned people should receive the same kindly tolerance we extend to the mentally defective the writing of the letter in itself halfway contented her it was such a splendid expression of her emotions poor old girl he added musingly she was feeling pretty sore about things just then but the sequel is the queer part he went on i began to read their bible and i like it It's part of the irony of fate that I haven't gotten from it the things they intended I should. But I tell you, part of this Old Testament is immense reading. You know, Parkman, I suppose we're prejudiced ourselves. We don't see the Bible as it is itself. We see it in relation to a lot of people who surround it. And because we don't care for some of them, we think we shouldn't care for it. Whereas the thing in itself he concluded cheerfully is just what we'd like and how go your own books dr parkman asked him carl shrugged one shoulder in a nervous little way he had acquired oh so-so pretty fair i guess his face settled into a gloom then but almost immediately he roused himself from it to say in a voice more cheerful than spontaneous "'They'll be finished in a couple of weeks. "'I'm both glad and sorry. "'Don't know just what I'll go at then.' "'Again he seemed to settle into the gloom "'which the doctor could see was ever there waiting to receive him. "'But again he roused himself almost immediately. "'Was it this way with the man all the time? "'A continuous fight against surrendering? "'But I'm mighty thankful I've had the books,' he said. "'They pulled me through the winter.' and they've enabled me to make a living lord but a man would hate not to make a living he concluded straightening up a trifle more like the carl of old the sheer pathos of it had never come home to the doctor as it did with that a man who should have stood upon the very mountain peaks of fame now proudly claiming that he was able to make a living but if it brought home the pathos of the situation, it also brought new sense of the manhood of Carl Huber's. It was great, Parton told himself, great. A man who felt within himself all the forces which make for greatness could force himself into the place of the average man, and thank the Lord that he was able to make a living. "'Here's a little scheme I've worked out,' Carl said, and opening one of the drawers of the library table, pulled out the model for the idea he had worked out for reading and writing in Braille. It was the first Dr. Parkman had heard of it. He wanted to know all about it, and Carl explained how it had seemed to him as soon as he learned how the blind read and wrote that the thing could be simplified and vastly improved. So he had worked this out. He explained its points of difference and wanted to know what parkman thought of it why man exclaimed the doctor it strikes me you've revolutionized the whole business but why carl nobody ever thought of this before the usual speech laughed carl but in this case it seems so confoundedly true well i believe it will help some and i'll be glad of that he added simply oh i have some more schemes if I've got to be blind, I'm going to make blindness a better business. Our old friend the devil didn't do so well then, after all, said Dr. Parkman quietly. He closed up one channel, but he didn't figure on your burrowing another. Carl laughed. Huh, this won't worry him much. It came so easily, I can't think it amounts to a great deal. But as long as I was used to scheming things out, it amused me. "'exercised the few cells that were in pretty bad need of a job. "'And I have other ideas,' he repeated. "'Parkman asked what Carl intended to do with his model, "'offering some suggestions. "'The doctor was more than interested and pleased. "'He was deeply stirred. "'Why, confound the fellow,' he was saying to himself. "'They can't knock him out. "'They knock him down in one place and he bobs up in another.' The ideas of this brain were as difficult to suppress as certain other things in nature. Damn up one place, they find another. They smoked their cigars and talked intermittently then. They were close enough together to be silent when they chose, and all the while the undercurrent of Dr. Parkman's thought flowed steadily on. He was thinking that, after all, there were better things to do with fate than damn it. If ever a man would seem justified in spending his soul in the damning of fate, that man, it seemed to him, was the friend beside him, and while he had done some of it, perhaps a great deal more than any one knew, it had not been his master passion. His master passion had been to press on, press on, to be, knew not what, there was the glory of it. It was easy enough to work toward a goal sighted ahead, but it took a Carl Huber's to work on through the darkness. And, ah, there was a good time coming. The doctor's somber face relaxed to a smile. His own life seemed almost worth living now just because he had been able to take a hand. Yes, and play a few good cards in this little game. Those things Carl had shown him today made it seem there was all the finer joy in bringing him back to the things which were his own. He had been thrust from out the gates, but he had not sat whimpering outside the wall. He had gone on and sought to find a place in that outer world in which he found himself, and now he should come back to his own through gates of glory. Carl asked him about Ernestine then. How was she looking? Was she thin, pale, her face felt? pale to him, he said. He had urged her to work, because he knew she would be happier so, but Parkman must see to it she did not overwork. Had he seen the picture on which she was working so hard? He asked that wistfully, and the doctor's face was soft, and a gentleness crept into his voice, and, as he said, he believed he was to see the great picture very soon now. And then, after a silence, Carl said, softly, very tenderly. Bless her gaily little heart. End of chapter thirty-one.